Luke chapter 14 and verse number 25. Appreciate all the great music this morning and uh, the opportunity to open the Word of God and share uh, yet again what the Lord is doing. And uh, It's been a great week and I'm very thankful for that and thankful for all that the Lord has done leading up to this week and uh, hope that you had a great New Year celebration last weekend and excited to be back in church today. Uh, have you ever been asked to do something that you really didn't want to do? Uh, try this pie or this dessert, you know. Uh, we just came through Christmas time. Uh, try this. And you're like, nah, I don't want to. Um, maybe it was going to dinner with a friend and you'd rather have a night at home. Uh, maybe it was uh, a work event on your only night off that week or that month. or Maybe it was an appointment you really didn't have time for. And you're like, man, how am I going to make this work? Uh, when we get to Luke chapter 14, we encounter a story of Jesus and walking with a crowd. And everywhere Jesus went, there was always a crowd. It just kind of goes to figure. Uh, they were following someone who was doing things that they had never seen done before. And they were following someone who really could do anything. And so they were looking for something from him. And he begins chapter 14 with a, a teaching on humility. And then he follows that with this uh, teaching of a great supper that paints a great picture of uh, the Lord's desire to see everyone at his table one day. And then when we get here to verse number 25, Jesus almost stops to get a feel of the crowd. Uh, to just kind of gauge the spiritual temperature of where they are together. But the questions and the statements that he's going to make, the analogies that he's going to give here, uh, really cause us to see the radical intention of Jesus. The radical intention. Because he says in a lot of words, but narrowing down, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be hard. If you're going to follow me, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, continue was our theme in 2022 and today is kind of the last opportunity to speak into our theme and I really just want to, uh, if I had to title this, uh, I would title it this way, The Radical Cost of Following Jesus. The Radical Cost of Following Jesus. In his book, which is a classic, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Martin Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. And I really, as we start a brand new year, brand new theme in two weeks on Vision Sunday... I want to really just ask a question, and I want us to be serious today. Uh, I, there will be some, uh, some lighthearted moments in the message, but I really want us to leave today and reflect on the fact with one simple question. Am I ready to follow Jesus? Am I ready? And most of us would just instinctively say, absolutely, yeah, I'm ready. But have you, like Jesus is going to give in this story, have you really sat down and thought about what that involves? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Luke chapter 14, and let's, let's look at a couple of verses and look at verse 25. It says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father 
and mother and wife and children and brethren, sisters. Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Began to build and was not able to finish. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the challenges that we see in your word directed at your people. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see what the disciples saw that day. Help us to hear what they heard and consider and count the cost and see if we truly are ready to follow you. Lord, it's a brand new year. A lot of resolutions take place in a brand new year, brand new beginnings for a lot of people. Lord, help us to see that this decision is more important than losing a few pounds or looking for a new job or looking for that ever-elusive relationship. Lord, help us to see that following you supersedes all else. And help us not, not only, Lord, to decide, yes, we want to follow you, but number two, help us to see what that costs. And help us to be willing to count the cost and endure the cost. Not just enduring the cross, but enduring what that costs. Lord, please speak to my heart. And Lord, please search me if there's anything sinful in my heart and life that's unconfessed. Lord, unconfessed sin, please forgive me and help me to be clean as I preach your word this morning. Lord, if there is someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they've not made that decision to follow you. Lord, with their life, they've not accepted you and accepted your free gift of salvation. Help them to see that is their greatest need this morning. Lord, I ask that you please help us to reflect this morning on what the cost is of following you and help us to be willing to pay it. We love you and thank you so much for proving your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the thinning. It's January, you know, the thinning, all right? Uh, we all got to start somewhere. Uh, but the thinning, uh, look at verse 25. You know, everywhere you look, people were following Jesus. Uh, he always drew a crowd, and before technology, before cell phones and the internet and Twitter and all these different things, uh, Jesus was, it was noised about. Whenever he traveled somewhere, it was always spread abroad where he was going to be. But just because there was a group in attendance didn't mean that they all had the right attentions. We see the crowd that's mentioned in verse number 25. As you follow the ministry of Jesus throughout the Gospels, he is constantly trying to gauge the commitment level of those who are following him. He did this several times in the Gospels. and One in particular time in John chapter 6, verse 66, the Bible says, From that time, after a day full of teaching and really a day full of hearing hard things to understand, Jesus, it says in John 6, 66, From that time, many of his disciples turned away. Many of those who named the name of Christ, who said that they were disciples and followers of Jesus, from that time they went back and walked no more with him. It was too hard. It was too difficult. And they said, we can't accept that. We can't do that. 
to the point that in the very next verse, Jesus is left with 12 guys, his disciples, those original core group. And he looked at them and asked the question, will ye also go away? So many people walked away from Jesus that day in his ministry, never to return, that Jesus said, it's time to take inventory. Guys, you've been with me now for several years. Are you still with me? Are you going to follow the crowd? And Peter makes that iconic statement in verse 68. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Lord, where would we go? You're the one that knows what to do. You're the one that has all the answers that we seek. You have the words of eternal life. You know, Jesus had a crowd, but they all had different motives. See, the chief indicator of a church that's blessed by God has nothing to do with how many people attend. Nothing. We're thankful for the crowd. That's honest, the truth. But at the same time, size is not an indicator of seriousness. When it comes to following Jesus. See, Crossroads has never and should never be set out on a mission to draw a crowd. Our mission should be simply how to make disciples. That should be our intention. Say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Why should we be passionate about that? Because if we are not making disciples, we are not a church. Bottom line. The indicator of a church is, do they develop disciples? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things. See, I know some really good churches that are really good at point number one of the Great Commission. Man, they see people saved all the time. And then you never see them again. Man, they see people saved. Yeah, they might have a good percentage of baptisms, but are they being developed? Are they true disciples? Do they stick around? Developing disciples. It's because of this command, not recommendation. Command that we're increasing our intentionality this year at Crossroads in developing disciples. In staying in contact with new believers and making sure people get through next steps. And where they're not waiting on us, we're waiting on them. Hey, we're going to be here pushing. Man, why are you always talking about baptism? And why are you always talking about discipleship? And why are you always talking about getting involved in service? Because we're commanded to. We're commanded to. That's why. And we're going to be more passionate about it this year than we were last year. Because it is commanded of us establishing new ways to connect people to other believers so that we continue to grow together. Continue. Jesus doesn't look at us and applaud our facilities. He's not impressed. God, Jesus, is more interested in our faithfulness than he is our facilities. He's He's not impressed with the balance sheet of Crossroads Baptist Church. He's impressed with our burden of souls. He's not interested in our comfort, by the way. He's interested in our commitment, our commitment to him. So the question this morning is, why are you following Jesus? If you're following Jesus today, why? Well, you know, my mama, if you're following Jesus because you're mama, you won't last long. If you're following Jesus because you were raised in church, you won't make it. There's got to be something deeper 
And Jesus said, it's not just the size of the crowd. He said not only talked about the crowd, he talked about in verse number 26, the conflict. The conflict. Jesus spins around on a dime and says, if any man come to me, and it sounds, hey, if you're going to follow me, here's the requirements. Here's the punch list. You know, a lot of people are list people. I like watching a list and saying, all right, I can check this off, check this off, and I did this. And, uh, you know, I, it's a sheet, and I, I've got to check these things off today. These are my essentials. Jesus is getting ready to give the essentials. And here it is. If you're going to come to me, you're going to follow me, you're going to be a disciple. If you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your family, your brother and sisters, yay, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. Why? At first glance, this seems insensitive. You know, Jesus, you want me to hate my family? I mean, what, what is he saying? That's not what he's saying. Remember, he's already said and pointed to in Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Moses said, honor thy father and mother. And whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. So he's not talking about hating your parents. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. So it doesn't seem like Jesus is saying, you need to hate your spouse. Remember, Jesus picked up the children around him in Mark chapter 10 and verse 16. It says he took him up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. So what is Jesus saying? Why would he say this? He's talking about our level in which we love each other. Well, see, we all love each other or things at different levels. Every single one of us. Uh, you know, man, that's my, that's my bros and uh, that's my BFFs and I love them. And that's my house and I love my house and that's my job and I love my, my job and that's my dog and I love my dog and whatever it is. But we all love at different levels, right? Uh, I love, and you know me and have heard me preach more than about three times, you know that I love Legos. Uh, this is a, uh, a spiritual cleanse for me. Uh, uh, it does me good. Uh, last week, uh, for the first time in almost 10 years, almost 10 years, uh, I had some Lego sets that were destroyed, and that's a whole other sermon illustration for another day, uh, but were destroyed, and a lot of Star Wars sets that I had years ago, and uh, they were destroyed. And so last week during the, the Christmas and New Year's break, I spent considerable amount of time, much to the behest of my wife, uh, to putting these Legos back together, okay? Uh, so uh, I, I put those Legos back together, and I love Legos, but I also love Michelle. Okay? And that is my wife, if you're visiting today. Uh, my wife, and she's in the room on the second row. All right? I love her. But how many of you know and understand that when I say I love Legos and I love Michelle, there's a major difference? Everybody understand that? Some of you may say, oh, I love Legos more than Michelle, and, and you're, we don't like you. Uh, but you know, we, we talk about our different levels of love. There is a drastic difference in an inanimate object and a person. But when we talk about loving Jesus, and he says you've got to hate your father, mother, sister, brother, wife, all of these different things, he's not talking about love versus hate. He's talking about level of love. He is saying that our love for the Lord should be so passionate, so intense, so strong, so deep that the comparison to anything else 
It's off the charts. There is nothing else that I love more than him. You know, that sounds awesome. But that's not how we live, is it? You know, G, Lord, uh, you know, Pastor, I, I, I love Jesus and everybody else is like right here. That's not what Jesus said in this verse. It's not neck and neck. It's not, hey, I, I love Jesus and everything else is like a close second. There should be no second. According to this verse, and Jesus made the disclaimer and said, if you don't love me this way, you're not a disciple. You'll never truly follow me. Do you love Jesus that much compared to your job? Compared to your car, your bank account, your family? And this is where the conflict comes in. You get to choose how much you love him. Because remember, he already proved that he loved us. Remember that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth is an old English word that means proved. God proved his love when he sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly died because of the love that he has for us. How would Michelle feel if she looked at me with those beautiful eyes and said, I love you? And how would she feel if I looked back at her into those same eyes and said, I like you too? Hey, excuse me. <laughs> Come again. But how does Jesus feel when he says, I love you this much? And we say, I like you too. Because that is truly how we treat Jesus at times, isn't it? Hey, Jesus, I like you a lot too. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, you don't die for somebody you like. And Jesus didn't die for us because he liked us. He died for us because he loved us. Hey, I told you, this is the reflection message. Are you willing to love him that much? The conflict, and then we see the cross that's mentioned in verse number 28, or verse 27. He said, and whosoever doth not bear his cross, bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes it very simple and says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to die. Now, that sounds like, uh, wait, wait a minute now, that's not what I signed up for. Uh, Lord, are you sure you're talking about that? What was he doing? He was telling them that it is not for everyone. That's what he's saying. Does Jesus want everyone to follow him? Absolutely. But will everyone follow him? No. Because this is radical. See, he didn't say you would struggle to be a disciple if you don't carry a cross. He said you cannot be a disciple if you don't carry a cross. The Christian life should be hard. If you say, Pastor, my Christian life is super easy, you don't have New Testament Christianity. Because the Bible over and over and over again talks about the difficulty that's found in following Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
I don't like that word, pastor, suffer. That's not what I signed up for. But that's what Christianity is. Luke 17, verse 1, Then said he unto the disciples, It, imp- is, it, Im- it is impossible, but that offenses will come. You are going to be offended. Now, pastor, you're talking about suffering, and I didn't like that, but I really don't like being offended. Jesus is saying, buckle up. Be ready. 1 Peter 2.21. For even hereunto were ye called. This is the Peter, the guy who denied the Lord. The guy who walked on the water too, by the way. He said, for here, even hereunto were ye called. This is your calling. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now that sounds really good and sounds and preaches really good at conferences. Man, we need to follow the steps of Jesus. But he's talking about suffering for him. Suffering. So what does that tell me? You know what the practical, real truth of that is? Some people who name the name of Christ, who go to good Bible-believing churches, who are saved, will never follow Jesus. Because according to this, our cushy life doesn't cut it. You know, too many things pull at us, don't they? Too many things. But if following Jesus costs us something and it requires difficulty, then why are we wasting our time chasing the wind, following things, pursuing things that don't bring people to Jesus or that draw our attention away from Him? It's time, hey, 2023 church, it's time to get serious about following Jesus. Well, pastor, I thought we were. We're taking it up a notch. But you know what we're doing? We're also putting Satan on notice. And that seldom ends well. Are you willing to follow Jesus? He talks about the thinning. And when people hear that kind of talk, there's some walking that happens. I didn't sign up for this, pastor. The thinning. But then number two, we see the thinking. Look at verse 28. Jesus gives two stories Similar yet different emphasis on each. He talks about, number one, the desire here. Look at verse number 28. For which of you, talking again to the crowd, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, All that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. The first man had this tower that he designed and he wanted to build it. He had a plan. He had the design. He had the drawings. All of those things. Knew the details. All of these things that he desired to accomplish. But there was one thing that had to be done first. And it was a question. How much is it going to cost? How much? See, you can do almost anything if you have enough money and manpower. You can accomplish anything with those two items. But Jesus said the man had the plan, but he'd be a fool not to sit down and at least calculate the cost. See, the problem is in many good churches over the years, and I've been in some of them, and maybe you have too, is that we are so concerned to get people down the aisle so that we can impress other people. 
How many people did you have saved today? How many people were in attendance today? How many people got baptized today? How many people joined the church today? We are so consumed with a number that we will do almost anything, sadly, to see that number. That means applying pressure. And why do we do it? So that we look good. You know what the problem is there? That doesn't please God. And it doesn't produce lasting change. See, I, I'm be, be honest, very, very plain and blunt and transparent. I can make you come down the aisle. I can make you come to the altar. I can put just enough spin and pressure on it. And I can get an emotional decision and get you to come down here. But when you do, you're not coming because of him. You're coming because of me. And that does not produce a lasting decision. You're coming to please someone that you can see rather than someone that you can't see. And it won't last long. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's why he said in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. Love first, follow first. The motivating factor has to, has to begin with love. When it comes to following Jesus, you have to consider what it costs first. And in that same thread is what did it cost him? It cost him everything. Jesus didn't have a pillow for his head. He didn't have a place to sleep every night. And Jesus was faithful regardless. You know, how many family members will turn on you for following Jesus? How many friends will you lose? You go to work tomorrow and you say, hey, God blessed our church yesterday morning and I heard this message from this past of scripture and God showed me that I need to follow him even more so. And I just want all y'all to know, y'all think that's going to go over well? It would at our office. But most likely, it's not going to go over really well at yours. You think about Giglio said, Louis Giglio said, No big shocker that following Jesus is costly. The big things in life always are. David Platt said, Do we believe the reward found in Jesus is worth the risk of following him? So you announce to people that you're going to be a committed follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, and you automatically become weird. Or weirder than you already are. But is following Jesus worth it? The desire. Number two, we see the delight. Verse 29, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What is it said about the man who doesn't consider? He's laughed at. He's mocked. He's not able to finish the task. There have been a lot of meetings this past year and leading into this year about money. I say, Pastor, what, kind, what, what are you talking about? How much money? How much are we talking about? Because we're talking about a Christian school. We're talking about a new facility. We're talking about new ministries and different opportunities. 
most of those things have a price tag attached to them. And we have to sit down and reason, is it worth the cost? What is the cost and can we complete the task? Can we finish? Do we want our enemy to take pleasure in our failure? Absolutely not. Do we want to be the laughing stock of our community that we had this grand desire, but we failed to execute? No. See, failure is not an option. Steps of faith are the only option. Failure is not an option. We're talking to consulting firms about relocating and rebuilding a new facility, larger campus and different things and new opportunities and they're telling us somewhere between 6 and $7 million is our magic number. That's a lot of money. But we have a big God. And we believe that God is leading us. He's going to provide the need. He always does. And He always has. I can promise you that before we take that step, there will be some major counting the cost. Can we? Should we? We're going to know that we can proceed. You think about our school, it's renting a space. Man, it'd be easy just to throw some kids in a classroom upstairs and back hallway and put a couple doors in and be good to go. And we already got the facility. And we're going to be maxed out on the first day with no room for growth. Something about that doesn't sit well. Yeah, it's easy, but it requires that much faith. Whatsoever of not of faith is what? Sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It requires a step of faith. I'm thankful that today, enrollment starts today here. It's awesome. It's exciting. A year ago, we started praying about, Lord, are you leading in this direction? Is this really what you want us to do? And it's come to today. Today. And it shows us that God is not only faithful, He's awesome. Because there have been money conversations all along the way. Why? Because counting the cost is required. I don't want to fail. I don't want our testimony and the church testimony to be that we didn't count the cost. But there's great delight in seeing pictures of how God has blessed and He's moved and He's provided. And to be able to see walls going up on the inside this week. It's been awesome. To see what God is doing. I don't know if we have those pictures or not, if they're in there. But you can just kind of see steel being delivered this week. And you can see holes that are cut in the concrete for plumbing this week. And you can see, uh, as of yesterday, walls beginning to go up. That's exciting to me. But this, hey, just because we're here doesn't mean we're done. Just because we get to June doesn't mean that we're done. We are on a mission, and that mission is to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow Him, no matter the cost. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love what Elizabeth Elliot said, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. This is his doing. Psalm 118, 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
The thinning. Jesus thinned out the crowd. The thinking. Hey, calculate what you're planning to do. But then lastly this morning, we see the trying. The trying. Look at verse 31. The second analogy here has a slightly different approach. And it includes what I wrote down for the notes. A personal consultation. A personal consultation. The builder of the tower had a choice whether or not to build. It was optional. The king had to make an immediate, quick decision. And this wasn't something that could be put off. He had to consider what was at stake. It says in verse number 31, For what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage or an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. You know, a decision has to be made at some point. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to be a disciple? You say, Pastor, well, I'm just going to put that off. I don't have to decide today, but let me be very real this morning. Indecision is still a decision. Rejection and say, yo, I'm going to put that off is just the same as saying no. Not right now is a no for today. No, I'm not going to follow Jesus. There was still a reckoning of the cost here. It compares our life to a spiritual battle. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. If you're a believer, you are in the fight. You can sit on the sidelines and watch or you can armor up. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. See, this is not like sports where everybody who's on the team gets a trophy or a ring. Yes, if you're on the team, yes, you're a believer, yes, you get to go to heaven. But the greatest blessings and rewards are handed out to those who are faithful in the fight, not those who sit on the sidelines and watch. I understand that not everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something. That doesn't mean that you're going to be preaching next Sunday morning. That doesn't mean that you're going to be teaching a class next Sunday or singing in the choir in a few weeks. That doesn't mean that. But what are you doing engaged in the fight? What are you personally doing? He does not save us to sit. He saves us to serve and be faithful. This king was willing to do anything, even consider plans for peace. But he was ready either way. Are you prepared either way? Hey, this might be, 2023 might be the most peaceful year of your life. That's awesome. But you can't go into 2023 expecting it's going to be peaceful. you got to go into 2023 armored up, ready for battle. Because when I make that decision, there is a storm coming somewhere. I'll never forget getting up six years ago. I believe it was six years ago, five years ago. Getting up and preaching, I will sing. Psalm 59, 16. Yea, I'll sing aloud of thy power. Thou hast been a refuge and defense in the day of trouble. We're going to sing no matter what happens. And Tuesday, we're going to the hospital with my wife, who has emergency surgery. 
hey, when you get up and you put the devil on notice that you're going to do whatever in spite of what happens, you know what his response is? We'll see. You know what his response was to the Lord with Job? We'll see. Uh, God, you're just protecting Job. If you let me touch him, he'll turn on you in an instant. We'll see. And God allows storms to happen in our life for him to be able to say to the devil, you see? You see? I told you. The personal consultation. But then, lastly this morning, there's a precious commendation. The greatest thing that could be said about you is not that you're a VP somewhere or you're, you have an impressive title or you make a ton of money or everybody is ooh with you. The most impressive thing that could be said about you is found in verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The greatest thing that could be said about your life is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. How'd you like that on your tombstone? Because I promise you, if it says you are a follower of Jesus, we won't have to worry what kind of husband you are. Won't have to worry about what kind of dad you were. Won't have to worry about if you were faithful or not. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a dedicated disciple of His, you'll be all of those things. Don't worry about... Man, Pastor, you you don't understand about my marriage. You don't understand about my kids or my job. You can focus on one thing, and that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. You get that right, and everything else will fall into place. Are you a committed disciple? Remember Acts chapter 4 and verse 13? Right after the ascension, Peter and John are out preaching. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they were dummies. As far as their standard, they marveled and took knowledge of him that they had been with Jesus. We don't know what's wrong with those guys, but it's obvious that they've spent time with Jesus. What a testimony. I don't know what's wrong with my coworker. I don't know what's wrong with that guy in my family, but one thing's for sure. They've spent some time with Jesus. That's a testimony worth attaining. Remember Acts chapter 11, verse 26? The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What were they doing that was so radical? What what were they doing? They were acting like Jesus. There's a concept. They were acting just like Jesus. And they were called little Christs. That's what Christian means. Little Christ. A variation of Christ. That's who they were. They were called that because they acted just like Jesus. Could people say that about you? Because of decisions that you've made along the way to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter what happens, I am going to radically follow Jesus. Because in verse number 33, he says, hey, if you're going to be a disciple, and there were people in that crowd who had forsaken all. They were called the disciples. They'd left their homes. They'd left their jobs. They'd left their trades. They'd left their families. All of those things. They were disciples. But not everybody in the crowd was a disciple. 
And in a room this large, there's some of us who, man, we look good. We carry our Bible, man. We come in. We know when to say amen. We know when to raise our hands and worship. We know how to do all those things. But are you a disciple of Jesus? He began this entire thing in verse 27 with another bookend. Whosoever doth not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple. You know what a bookend does, right? You know that a bookend has a purpose. You know, we talk about bookends. They have a distinct value in the fact that they hold these books together. If you don't have a bookend on both sides, one part of your life looks like this. One part of the shelf looks like this. Because there's nothing holding it together. Jesus in Luke 14 gave bookends. Verse 27, verse 33. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. He bookended it together and gave them what was necessary. Now see, you can take bookends and you can say, Man, hey, I'm, Pastor, I, you've convinced me. Your God has spoken to me. However you want to word it. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to take my life as it sits right now, and I'm going to add Jesus into my life. I'm going to infuse him into what I'm doing right now. Here you go. I'm going to take him, and I'm going to take my life, and I'm going to take my schedule, and I'm going to take everything that I do, and I'm going to take him and put him right in the middle of it, and that's going to make me a disciple. You know what that does? If you, don't, if you do that and you add Jesus to your life as it stands right now, that's what you get. It doesn't work that way. You know what does work when I say, you know what, that's, that's my schedule and that kind of goes out the window. and You know, that's, that's opportunities that I have at work and, uh, you know, that's stuff with my family and, and they, they want me to, uh, to spend more time with them and all these different things. Some of these are really good things, not anything bad. But when I step back and I say, you know what, what is priority as I go into 2023 and as I say, how, Lord, what do you want me to do for my life? Then it causes me to take what is most important and say, God... I want to be a disciple. Help everything else to flow out of that. Help my schedule to be your schedule. Help my decisions to be your decision. Lord, help the people that I spend my time with to be people that you want me to be around. Lord, help me to be committed. And Lord, if that involves me carrying a cross and being counted weird and I don't have as many friends as other people who are more popular. But Lord, as long as you're my friend. Lord, as long as you spend time with me. Lord, I've got so little time left. You've given me great years. Lord, help me not to waste the little time that I have left. Help me to be sincere and serious about following you. All of us can say that we've wasted time. Help me to be serious this year. And help everything else, help the bookends to be, I want to be a disciple. 
And when I make that decision of I want to be a disciple, that means that everything else that doesn't lead me to be a disciple has to go outside the bookends. It can't be within. Now that means if, if it's a ministry at church that doesn't develop disciples, it can't, it can't be a part of my life. Now that means that if I have a relationship that doesn't draw me closer to Christ, it can't be a part of my life. That means that if I'm not, the conversations that I'm having, if they're not drawing me closer to Christ, if my schedule doesn't draw me closer to Christ, if I'm pushing Him out and I'm not drawing closer to Him, I can't be a disciple. The pursuit of our life, we have to, hey, it's decision time. It's 2023. Ha- haven't we wasted enough time with our lives? So we now get serious about following Jesus. We're going to have hardships. It's going to happen. Especially now. You say, hey, I'm going to to commit my life to Christ and I'm going to follow him. It's coming. But at the end of the day, don't you want to stand before him one day? The one who loved you, gave himself for you. And that's not pressure, that's reality. That's the truth. The one who loved you enough to send you a Savior. Don't you want to stand before Him and hear well done? Don't you want to stand before Him and know that you are a committed follower of Jesus? Don't you want to stand before Him and hear that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Hey, hey, that's more impressive than seeing your name and a fancy title outside of an office somewhere. Are you willing to count the cost and be a disciple. There's a radical cost involved. But I promise, according to the word of God, the cost is worth it. It's worth it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I really pondered this morning not even having an invitation. Just because I want us to consider the brevity of what we're here for. Consider the serious nature of where we are today. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? That's an easy yes until we think about the great cost that's involved. Can you imagine God, a conversation taking place in heaven? Jesus, do you love those people? Yes. Do you want want them to be saved, redeemed? Yes. Do you know what it's going to cost? Yes. Will you pay the cost? Yes. Hey, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Yes. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Yes. Do you know what it's going to cost? Yes. Will you do it anyway? There's the question. Will you count the cost? The great cost. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even saved. You don't even know what it means to be a disciple because you don't have Jesus in your life. He's not your Lord and Savior. Hey, can I pray for you this morning? I don't want to embarrass you, put pressure on you, come send somebody to talk to you. I just simply want to pray for you. If you're here and you don't know or you're watching online and you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, there's never been a time in your life when you have called out to Him and accepted His gift of salvation. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized or joined a church or been a good person. Has there been a moment in your life where you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior? And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that. 
or you, maybe you have a doubt. I'm not sure that I've ever done that. But can I pray for you? While no one's looking around, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. Would you simply, in the quietness of the moment, slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I, I just don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. I don't know if I died that I'd go to heaven. I don't know. But pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I, I just want somebody to pray for me this morning that before I die, I'll get that settled. Is that you? Is that you? While no one's looking around, I don't want to miss you. Pastor, pray for me. That's me. I'm going to raise my hand right now while no one's looking around and just ask you to pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to, I'm just looking. I don't want to miss you. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask the question and ask you not to answer it. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Sadly, many of us would say, no, I'm not. You can look at your life, you can look at your heart, you can look at decisions, you can look at a plethora of things and say, I know that I'm not a disciple of Jesus. Would you simply talk to him this morning about that? The altar is going to be open. Our personal workers are going to be down front in just a moment. Brother John will be right down front in the middle. If you need to talk to someone, we're here for you. Maybe you just want to get some more information. What does that look like to be a follower of Jesus? Maybe you just want someone to pray with you, whatever that is. But the altar will be open. You can pray and come and pray at the altar. You can pray in your seat. But, hey, don't leave here. Please don't leave here the exact same way you came in. Make a decision today. Father, please bless this time of invitation. Lord, hard truth this morning. Lord, we acknowledge that. But Lord, help us to see that we need this. Lord, it's time for us to be serious. Lord, we're going into a new year, new opportunities, new beginnings. You cannot expect what, what worked then is not going to work going forward. What got you here will not get you there. Lord, I ask that you please help us to be committed disciples, counting the cost, willing to pay it. Help us to follow you no matter what it takes. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, please. We're going to sing that chorus, I love you, Lord. Pastor Tim's going to